What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Base is dropped on another edition of Soccer Down Here. It's a Wednesday. We've got lots of stuff to get into today. We have cancellations going on overseas and maybe more coming as the Omicron variant continues to run wild on European soccer. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll get into a bunch of MLS moves yesterday. We'll go deeper into the Southampton takeover and other implications that could be coming from that because it's a little more interesting than it might have appeared on the surface. We'll, we'll get there. We'll also talk about why it was or we'll try to figure out why uh, it was sold for less than half of what that percentage was bought for uh, about five years ago. Very, very weird stuff, but we'll talk about all of the different implications from that. John, we already got a cancellation in the Gummy Bear Cup this morning. Yeah, and when Pep Linders tested positive, it was uh, another reason for Liverpool to ask for a cancellation. And after it was discussed internally, and however they come up with these particular kinds of decisions, uh, Liverpool's match is going to be postponed in the Gummy Bear Cup. Yeah, um, I think the, one of the biggest reasons here, and, and this is starting to come up in other places as well, when you start to get a significant number of positives, as Liverpool said in their statement on Tuesday, you get facilities, you get buildings closed, you, you get buildings that have to be cleaned and, and swept through and all of that. And when, in this case with Liverpool, and look, I don't know how the, the rules go for gummy bear cup cancellations are probably similar to what it is for the premier league but it's not a premier league competition so anything is possible this was an appeal for a cancellation and it was granted but when when you get into this situation and you don't have the facility available even if you're missing a significant number i don't know what that means like is it you know 10 first choice players first team players 15 is it eight who knows but when you don't have your facility, you can't train. So, like, the idea of, like, yeah, I'll just play the kids, and that's just what you got to do, and, and welcome to the world we're in right now. Yeah, if the facility's open. If guys test positive and they're not able to participate, but the facility isn't shut down, then yes. 
But we're going to see this in other cases as well, where local health authorities and their rules and regulations are going to make it impossible for some teams to fulfill fixtures. It, it's just if you can't train and you can't go like, you know, the idea I think people have always thrown out there is like, oh, why can't they just train somewhere else? Well, you can't do that either because you can't take a professional team and go train in a public park. Then you got to deal with security. Then you got to deal with a the crowd. Then you got to deal with all this other stuff. You can't do that either. So if you can't do the things that you need to do to prepare for the game, even if you have a smallish number of positives, you can't play. Now, this thing's been pushed back. So the game tomorrow was supposed to be at the Emirates. The first leg is now going to be at Anfield next Thursday, which was supposed to be the second leg. The second leg is going to be at Arsenal on Thursday, January 20th. So they've pushed it back a week. Is that going to significantly change anything in terms of numbers of positives? Probably not in a huge way, although it could, depending on when these players, some of them tested positive before the game over the weekend. So you'd expect that they could be back. Uh, You don't know for sure, but you would expect that. You would almost be able to guarantee that the facility will be back open. So if you do have to prepare a squad full of young players and guys on the fringes of the squad, whatever, you'll be able to do that because the facility will be back open. What is their game this weekend is probably the biggest question for Liverpool. Checking quickly to see when it comes to the schedule. Liverpool is hosting Brentford, but that isn't until the 16th. That's their next league match. So they don't play this weekend, but do they play FA Cup? Let's check FA Cup schedule and see what is going on with that. And everybody seems to be playing uh, FA Cup, scanning for the name of Liverpool. They host Shrewsbury on the 9th. So that's Sunday, if math is correct. Yes? Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, Liverpool and Shrewsbury is part of the 9 a.m. Eastern starts Sunday morning. Okay, Um, that would have to be debatable at this point on if you can do it. And I don't know the FA Cup regulations because they're different than the Gummy Bear, which is probably different than the regular Premier League. And I know the Premier League is different than the EFL in terms of these cancellation policies. If they're not playing Thursday and they don't have the facility available right now, I'd say Sunday is at risk. Yeah. But with the FA Cup schedule and and just frankly, with the number of games backlogged across all the leagues, are you really going to be able to postpone or is it just going to be a walkover for Shrewsbury? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what this turns into. Um, we'll see. Uh, the facility is going to be the issue. Uh, the issue is also in Italy. And this happened before. And it's crazy that it's happening again with this fixture. You've got issues with Napoli going to play Juventus. I know this happened um, last year. Well, it's happening again because they've had players test positive, staff have test positive. Some players have come back after testing positive earlier, and they're available for the game. The problem is the local health authority, the, the ASL, will ban them from traveling because there's a COVID outbreak within the group. They did this before. Remember how this went down last time. They couldn't travel. Juventus said that they forfeited. Juventus went through the ridiculous exhibition of naming a lineup, having them come out into an empty stadium, all that kind of nonsense. 
Napoli had to appeal it to the national board and the league board, and they got it overturned and they got to replay the game. Well, it looks like we're heading down that road again. You got seven people in Napoli's match day squad who are currently positive. Um, you do have players who have recovered. Uh, Elmas is one who has recovered. He might not be able to play, but he's not positive anymore. According to Radio Kiss Kiss in, in Naples, the ASL is currently discussing the situation. They'll make an announcement uh, here pretty soon, it appears, um, about what's going to happen with this game. Or, well, not, not what's going to happen with the game, if, if Napoli's going to be able to get on a plane. Because that's where that one stops. It's not a facility issue with them. It's are they going to be allowed to travel? If they can't travel, if they're quarantined in Naples, well, then we're back to the whole situation. Is Juve going to do the same nonsense they did last time? Bologna is also at risk of not playing against Inter because of their current testing situation. They've had four players test positive. They have eight players out of action. So four players had tested positive in addition to what had already tested positive. Now, Serie A has said there are no plans, and this was probably last night, maybe early this morning, no plans to postpone anything of the next two sets of fixtures. Uh, Salernitana has been ordered to quarantine. So they already can't travel. Napoli might not be able to travel. Bologna is, is an issue. Serie A is saying, and they're telling the, the national news agency, that there are no plans to postpone anything. Um, I think that's going to get pushed because you're going to have teams who literally can't make it to their game. And that's a different situation than postponing games because of a bunch of positive tests. Now, here's one more issue, um, and we've talked about this before. Starting January 10th in Italy, they are going to the Super Green Pass, which basically means to participate in anything publicly, whether it's going to a gym, whether it's going to a restaurant, whether it's going inside a, a shopping mall, anything, and playing professional football. You have to be vaxxed, and I don't think you have to be boosted yet, but you have to be vaxxed within a certain period of time or have recovered uh, from a positive coronavirus test, I think, within six months. Um, it's, a, it's a European Union set up with the Super Green Pass. Well, there are, according to Giovanni Capuano of Radio 24 in Italy, there's about 4% of the total of players in Serie A that are no vax that have not vaccinated clubs are worried about what's going to happen well, they probably should have been worried about this when it was announced like a month ago but anyway uh, a roma starting player and the name has not been divulged as protected by privacy that that roma starting players made it clear they'll ask for a transfer because they won't be allowed to play in in Serie A. that is looming uh starting next week and you're going to have issues with games in this current round where teams just can't travel You've got potential issues in Germany. Bayern Munich's game might not go ahead. We've talked about the issues in Spain. Spain has a very high bar to have a game get postponed. They're expecting you to play if you have a goalkeeper, if you have at least six members of your first team squad and a goalkeeper and 13 players total. You got to play if you got that. Okay. Germany is a little different in theirs. 15 eligible players are needed, including nine outfield players from the first team and one goalkeeper. I'm assuming that is from the first team. If you don't have that, then the game can be postponed. Everybody's got different rules on it. 
Um, it sounds like Germany and Spain are very like, if you have this, you play. If you don't have this, you don't play. England has the same thing, but then they have a review board. Italy, I don't know. They're saying they're not going to cancel anything, but their hand's going to get forced today, it, it appears, by teams not being able to travel. So, uh, you know, this is what, uh, what, what Burns said and a lot of other people said last couple weeks as we were talking about what's going on in England, that it was going to hit everywhere else, too. It is. It, it's delayed, but it's hitting everywhere else now, and all the other leagues are going to deal with it, and it's going to be a different situation in each country. And uh, I think that as you lay everything out if you if you use england as your centerpiece for trying to track the the variant and its impact literally it's, it's almost like you know taking that rock and throwing it in, in the pond and you see the the ripple work its way out and the hope obviously is with this particular variant that you get to the fast impact but then it fades just as quickly but when you're dealing with all of these individuals and all of these different uh, provinces and states and boards of health and all of these different rules, it really is going to cause clubs and leagues to have to be understanding and at the same time nimble when it comes to rescheduling and understanding the, the context of everything that is coming across. Because as you've just broken down, Italy different from Germany, Germany different from England. All of these countries are having their own approaches to this and you're having to do all of this in a World Cup cycle as well because you know you're heading toward qualifications, you're heading toward making sure that everything is as squared away as possible toward uh, Qatar when you're getting toward World Cup so you have all of these different things in play and every single nation, every single league is having to deal with it differently and it's it's a uh, a lot of different problems that have to be addressed and just understanding that you might have solved it in a short term, but also be ready if something else is to happen. It's going to have to be a lot of nimbleness, if that is in fact an English word, but a lot of understanding and trying to get everything squared away so your leagues can play, your players can be healthy, and everything can go as forward as, as best as possible. Now John's cutting out because it's an air horn. There you go. Sam Stejko of The Athletic is reporting that Bradley Carnell, who you'll remember the name, he was the interim at New York Red Bulls after Chris Armis was let go and before Gerhard Struber came in. Carnell was there, I think, for a good bit of the 2020 season, if I remember correctly. Uh, wasn't Didn't coach the playoff game that year because uh, Stru Struber – was able to be on site before that point. There were some issues with the visa, 2020 visas with a whole different challenge. But Bradley Carnell is going to be the first head coach of St. Louis City SC. A long playing career in Germany. He is originally from South Africa. He had been an assistant with the Red Bulls before being the interim head coach in 2020. St. Louis is expected to announce that this morning. Um... I don't know, Coco. I, I don't know if this is going to be a very Red Bull style or more of a very German style. Now, we know there's some overlaps here, and we know uh, Lutz Feinenstiel, who is the sporting director for St. Louis City. Um, we know there's going to be a German influence, which fits St. Louis. I, I get it. I, I understand it. Is it going to be a German influence in the sense of playing 
big on the transition, focusing on the the gegen pressing as opposed to the pressing. Gegen pressing doesn't necessarily mean that you you don't want the ball. Essentially, you, you can have some possession. Um, a, a true Red Bull team is not wanting possession because they want to be able to press to create their opportunities. If you have the ball, you're not pressing. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's just basically that simple. Um, I don't know. Be very curious to see. But his work has been with the Red Bulls. And he got a lot of acclaim for what he did in 2020. Um, 2020 was insane, as we all know. And, and what that year was like was really difficult. And he did get them into the postseason. And he did have to do it in some very challenging situations. Um, he incorporated Caden Clark into that team and Caden Clark was very impactful in 2020, far more impactful in 2020 than he was in 2021. So Bradley Carnell, somebody with a lot of experience in MLS, but also that long playing career in Germany, originally from South Africa is going to be St. Louis's first coach. And they're going to announce it. Maybe one of the earliest announcements of a coach in MLS expansion history. I think Jason Kreiss is one who was hired around this time by New York going into to 2015 when they started. I think he was hired uh, pretty soon after he took RSL to MLS Cup in, at the end of the 2013 season. I think he was there very early because he spent some time over in, in Manchester with City and, and all of that. Probably a couple others have been named around this time, but not typically. You know, you think back to some previous announcements and it's, it's a little bit later. I mean, Miguel Angel Ramirez in Charlotte wasn't announced a full year before they were going to start their first training camp. So Bradley Carnell in St. Louis, according to Sam Sejkal, should get an official announcement today. I'm intrigued. And when the the press conference happens, I'd like to know what, and I know that we're not going to get chapter and verse on it, but I'd like to know what he said in the interview, what, how he sold himself and his vision to this front office and, and, if there was anything stylistically that was divulged. So hopefully that question comes up and we get something of an answer, but now this is, this is intriguing, especially to give him this much of a runway to get everything squared away in St. Louis. It'll be uh, it'll be an interesting press conference. Yeah. St. Louis is St. Louis city. SC is already tweeting the uh, teaser with uh, somebody getting off a plane. So they'll have their announcement here pretty soon and we'll see what the quotes are. I, I would expect they will be fairly, clear in talking about their philosophy just judging from i think how outspoken uh fun and steel is I, I don't think he'll hide anything it's i i think at times and, and this has come up over the years when we start talking about tactics and and things tactics are different than philosophy tactics for a match specifically yeah a coaching staff a sporting director a technical director Keep that stuff close to the vest because you might be planning something very specific to exploit an issue you see in the opposition. Okay, that's that's like your American football mentality of, yeah, we're not showing you our playbook. Philosophy is not that. 
And and I hope that more clubs embrace talking about philosophy. It's actually really interesting that that this has come up. Dallas has hired a longtime assistant, Marco Ferruzzi, for a very new kind of role. Uh, He is going to be the director of methodology. And he will be in charge of establishing the development program used throughout youth and at North Texas and with the MLS first team. So creating, I think, a more not regimented, because I don't want it to sound negative, but a more structured development process. Philosophy is a huge element of that process. So I hope that Fenn and Steele talks about it. I hope we get a quote at least pointing us in that direction. Um, that's different than tactics. And I'm 100% with coaches and clubs who don't want to talk about specific tactics going into specific games. That's a very different situation. But like, especially right now, as you're getting ready to go into preseason, St. Louis getting ready to go into the year before they they launch. And philosophy is important because it really creates the identity that you expect from a club. And I think the best clubs have that developed to some degree. And the best clubs don't deviate from that too much. A philosophy is not rigid. A philosophy has room to explore within it. That's where your tactics come in. That's where adapting to your group of players comes in. That's where adapting to your your current manager comes in at the first team level. But the philosophy is going to guide how they develop players, how they develop St. Louis City in, in MLS uh, Next Pro, who's going to play this year. So they're going to have a young team there. A lot of academy kids uh, probably going to sign a few guys that they think could make it to the first team. But it's going to guide how that team plays. You know, your your youngest teams are going to be very true to the philosophy. As they get older, they'll deviate from the philosophy a little bit because results are necessary and you have different challenges as you have more developed players. You have to adapt a little bit more to the group you have as opposed to the kids that you are trying to mold into a certain way to play. I'm fascinated to see it. And I hope that Fan and Steel is as, I think, open as I think he will be to talk about these sorts of things. Because it'll be, it'll be great for that fan base. It'll be great for the league. And, and, gives, and it gives the fan base and, and the league that that early window into what Steele and everyone else who will now be a part of St. Louis City as a part of that understanding is, OK, here's who we are, not what we're doing, but here's who we are and here's how we're going to approach things. Here's how we're going to attack the day. Here's here's who we are in the sense of how we're going to to be a part of Major League Soccer. And I'm looking for I'm looking forward to this press conference. And like I said, I hope that a reporter asks about philosophy and gets an answer from Fonish Deal or Fonish well, offers it up. Hold up. I don't know if there's going to be a press conference. Let's, let's not set an unreasonable expectation here. All, all we know is an announcement supposed to be made. Um, there might not be a press conference. There might be there might be press conference down the road. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see just the quote in the press release even. I'll start there. Just yeah. very simple. Like, how are you going to set the table here? Uh, Burned, who who is our Bundesliga correspondent, uh, said that Fun and Steel's last team, Fortuna Dusseldorf, didn't play a Red Bull style. They did try to play with the ball a little bit, but they they weren't a very good team, so they had to balance around it and figure it out and all that. Um, compares it to Stuttgart right now. I'm okay with that. Like I, I'm, I, I think where I'm at, um, and Alex, I'm gonna get into your question here in just a second because it's a good one. Where, where I'm at with this stuff, you guys know philosophically the things I like and what I don't like. 
Um, I like teams that want to play with the ball. I, I don't like teams that don't want the ball. That doesn't mean I don't like teams that have pressing elements to it. Because, again, Barcelona, for example, and, and I'm not a giant Barcelona fan. I just have immense respect for the way that they try to play and what Pep Guardiola's done specifically and what Johan Cruyff did originally with with a lot of the ideas that Guardiola then you know put into a book and and made a, a not a literal book a figurative book and, and made it something that you could actually try to replicate rather than gut feelings from a, a genius like, like Cruyff I they have pressing elements big time pressing elements in what they do but it's all about getting the ball back and it's all about playing with the ball I hope that we get more of an influence of managers of clubs who want to develop young American players with the ball at their feet. I feel like you can learn to play in a Red Bull style later. My concern is teams that purely play pressing, you can't learn to be better on the ball at 17, 18, 19. You can refine things. You can get better with certain aspects. But if you're not a good technical player by the point that you should be playing in a first team, you're not going to be a great technical player. You might be able to get a little bit better, but it's going to limit you where you can go. If you're developed with the ball at your feet and develop those skills early, you can learn pressing triggers. You can learn what what angles to cut off. You can learn that stuff later. So the the influence of the the purely pressing teams, I hope that it's not at the expense of being good on the ball. And, and, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't have to be an either or in development. Your Philadelphia Unions, your New York Red Bulls, your, your teams like that in this country, your younger teams can learn how to press. But if you teach them how to use the ball when they are professionals down the road, and the ball turns over because you've taught them how to press and you, you've got that drilled down to a science. Well, then when the ball turns over and they're on the ball, they can play and they can pick out a pass and they can hit that ball with the outside of their left foot because they've been taught that since they were a kid. They can dribble past somebody when everything is chaotic and the ball turns over because they have that skill. You can't teach that later. And, and that's the important element of this for me. And it's why I always tell people when, when they ask, about, you know, what their kids should be working on, you know, what, what young coaches should be working on, what you, you eight, you U9 coaches should be working on. Ball, 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 ball. Everything with the ball. Everything. Everything with the ball. You, you can teach them how to run faster later. You can teach them how to press later. You, even with the youngest kids, you can teach them how to shoot and, and pass and, and those things a little bit later. If they learn how to dribble at a young age, they're going to be able – to play anywhere they want later on. Now, obviously you have physical things that are going to accentuate certain elements. If you're very fast, okay. You might be able to get away with not being quite as good on the ball. You might be able to just do the old uh, Kobe Jones, touch it past and run, which a lot of fast players, that's all they need. Cool. Okay. Kobe also had some other moves too, as he got older and learned some things too, as he, he developed into one of the more underrated players ever in American history, but young Players have to be taught with the ball. And, and I would expect that's what's going to happen. And it's really good to hear that from, from Burned, that it, it's not purely a Red Bull press, which is really based around not having possession. 
you can be effective in pressing and try to have the ball. And that's maybe why I get rankled a little bit about Philadelphia's changes over the years, because they were more of the team that could play with the ball, but had pressing elements and had a really good pressing element. And when they went to their diamond, they were very good at doing both. Last year, they definitely went much further into the don't even want the ball right now. Don't even care. We'll get it in transition. We'll get it after a press. That's fine. And I think it limits you more. I think it sets a lower ceiling. But that's that's just my opinion. And, and we can go round and round about presses and all that. I just hope that from a kid's development level, it never turns into, all right, we're going to teach you how to press at eight years old because that's a absolute waste of time and it's destroying that player's potential to be able to play in more systems and making them only fit in your system. I hope that doesn't happen here. I don't think it will knowing what I do know about fine and steel and, and that little glimpse from burned. And I, I think we'll get the idea that yes, they'll be okay to play with the ball. They'll want the ball, but yeah, when the ball turns over, they're going to want it back and they're going to press like crazy. So then to Alex's question. Well, hold on. Let me put Alex's question up because we haven't said Alex's question. Okay. Go ahead. Is the German style starting to replace the English influence in American soccer? Seems like more and more managers and front office roles are being taken by Germans. Okay. Do you have a thought on that? I mean, as I sit here and, you know, as I sit here and try to think it through in my head, it does seem that, 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 that influence is working its way through. And I'm wondering first and foremost, where that, that first, that the genesis of it was. And I know that we can sit here and we can look at Klopp and Liverpool as, as a touchstone in this discussion. No, 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 no. It, it's, it's there for a long time before. That's what, that's what I'm saying. I know that as, as a recent example, we can look. No, at no, no I, I know, but. You talk about it all the time. What was your introduction to oh, soccer? Soccer made, in soccer made in Germany. You've you've long had a, a very German influence, probably alongside the English influence. I, I wouldn't put one as ahead of the other historically. I think they were both, maybe depending on what part of the country you were in. Um, they've bo both been there for a long time. A lot of the first coaching educators that came to the United States were German. Um, I think maybe some of that is because I, I think the, the Germans have structured their coaching education earlier and, and faster than anybody else. Um, they develop coaches better. So you've always had it. I, I think where Alex is getting at is, is maybe a little bit more of the current philosophies from Germany, which have changed over the years. I mean, the the Germans who came here to teach coaches and work in the United States in the 70s, the game wasn't played the same way it is now. I do think that there is kind of a new wave of German influence with the current very transition-based, some shading more depressing, some more of like a Nagelsmann, yeah, we want the ball, we're, we're good with the ball, but we'll also press you into submission. A little bit of both, but I think maybe there is a new wave of it. And it's easy because it's always been there. And there's a lot of communities that have grown up in soccer in a very German mentality across the United States. St. Louis is one of them, by the way. 
And I mean, as far back as I can remember, even just doing things and studying sociology, that was what you, know, you knew about the German influence in St. Louis. So that, that, that does make a ton of sense that that influence would be there as a part of the Midwest. Yeah, it's not always tied to to that. It, it's sometimes it is down to a little bit of blind luck as to where someone relocates from coming from another country and. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Might be completely brand new. Um, I think that's happened with, with the English style as well, or the English mentality. Burned asks, is there a, still a lot of English influence in American soccer? And and there is, and there always will be, just because of the, the shared language. I mean, that's going to be the easiest thing. If you go through youth clubs in the United States, there are a number of English coaches in them. And, and there will be for a long time, again, because shared language makes it very easy. Um, we know how much the, the Premier League is watched here. So when you have someone come from England and people and parents who might not know a ton about the game who hear a, an English accent, then that in some way speaks to legitimacy. And it's look, it's always proven by the work. I mean, that might get you a foot in the door, but if the work's not quality, it's not going to last. I can only take you so far. But there's always going to be that influence. Um, I think what we're starting to see more in this country, and Dallas will be a fun one to watch. Other locations will be too, but Dallas, I think, is they're trying to nail down this methodology a little bit. And I hope they share it. I hope they're they're not like corporate secrets about it. I think we're starting to see more of a Latin influence, which is very good. A Latin influence outside of the Latin community. And that's the important element, because if if you don't look for it in some communities, you don't see the current uh, Latin soccer, Hispanic soccer that is going on, because at times it's it's not in the mainstream programs. It's not in the state associations. It's it's separate. It's it's a separate universe at times. And if you don't look for it, you don't know it. I think it is starting to become more a part of the mainstream. And there's a heavier influence on your, your, your you know, American kids from, you know, historically American families who are playing for Latino coaches or Latina coaches. And it's all starting to change more in that regard. I'd say that's maybe the biggest change. I think the German influence has always been there, but right now you have a very identifiable German style that is starting to come to the fore a bit. The English influence will always be there and it will never go away. It always will be part of the game in this country. 
but you're starting to see more of a Latin influence. And that's the part that, that I just love. Um, I think it's going to be great, great, great to see. And it's going to be great for American soccer. So that's the unique thing about soccer in this country that is very hard at times um, to quantify. And we'll get into U.S. soccer politics here in a minute because we got more of that coming. But when you compare what the German Federation has done with their coaching education, which I, I, I'm pretty sure they've been at the forefront of that going back to the 70s where, yeah, I mean, in the past with this stuff, and we've seen it in American football over the years too, and baseball and basketball and all of it, you got somebody who played at a certain level who starts to coach and they're kind of doing it based off what they were taught. And that's about it. That's kind of how it would start. It's a lot of feel and it's a lot of love of the game. And that's what you're sharing. Then things start to get codified a little bit. And and now I think from the, the German influence, you have coaching badges and licenses and don't really have as much of that in American sports. You do in, in, in soccer where you, you're getting badged and you have your, your A license coach, and they're supposed to be better than the B license coach. It's supposed to be better than the C, et cetera, et cetera. It's also a lot of money that's involved in that stuff, and that's a whole other topic. But coaching education is, is key. The difference, though, in the United States versus a Germany versus an England versus a France who does a very good job with their coaching development as well, uh, one of the best in the world right now, and that's where MLS has partnered with their youth development a lot in coaching education. Those are very small countries. The United States is huge. And the United States has those just wide range of influences. You've got a, a number of Dutch coaches who've come to work in the U.S. They have their philosophy. You got the German. You got the English. You got the Latin. And the Latin, you can break it up into various different countries. You got a Brazilian influence, which is different. Portuguese influence certain parts of the country. You got all these different areas. You'll never have one way. German teams generally play like German teams. Of course, you get some variation within that. But generally, a German team looks like a German team. When they don't, it's like, whoa, this is different in the Bundesliga. How's this team playing? Dutch teams look like Dutch teams. Now, the English Premier League has dramatically changed because of the number of foreign coaches who have come in and brought those different influences. And they're kind of dealing with that. But I don't think it's caught up at the development level yet. It will be very hard in this country, and I think impossible, to purely have one way of teaching coaches how to coach. You can have the badges, you can have the process, you can have all that, and that will help with this idea. But you'll never be able to purely make it one American way. Because one American way would have to encapsulate all of those other influences. And, and there's some of them that run counter to one another, so you can't. Um, and it's going to be very hard for a federation to be top down in that in this country in the size that it is, because if you're in San Diego, you're not going to see U.S. Soccer Federation personnel very often in, in terms of, OK, yeah, we like the way you're coaching. All right. We want you to do this more, do this more, work on this. Don't do that. Coach this way. You're not going to see U.S. Soccer Federation people. You might see them in San Diego once or twice a year when they're there for coaching courses, for their for scouting issues, stuff like that. They're not going to Boise, probably. They're not going to Jackson, Mississippi, probably. They're not going to Shreveport. They're not going to Macon. They're not going to a lot of places in this country where the game is played. So, I mean, it just, it's always going to be hard. 
Uh, Burned asks, is that a positive of the DA going away? Um, the DA going away, I think, was purely a business decision when it did. I think it was down to the Federation was looking at their reserves trickle away. It's during the midst of COVID. They were probably trying to look at how they could do a DA season and didn't see any way to do it. And they were knowing that the writing was on the wall, that the MLS clubs wanted to develop players in a different way than the non-MLS clubs did in the DA. There was friction there for a while. They were working through it. I think it would have separated at some point down the road. But in the midst of COVID and the financial losses, I, I think U.S. Soccer said, all right, let's do it now. Let's get let's get rid of it now. It has created some chaos in the short term, which, I mean, is to be expected. There, there's an opportunity, and as we know, youth soccer in this country is a big business. So where there's an opportunity to make money, some people are going to jump on it. And you have the uh, battle of acronyms all over youth soccer right now with all the different youth leagues and organizations and structures. And this one's better than that. No, this one's not as good. And uh, politics and chaos and all of it. Ultimately, a youth club that is not producing players for their own first team is going to have a different mentality than a youth club that is developing players for their own first professional team. There, there just is. There's no way around that. There are some independent youth clubs that develop players in a very professional manner. There are. Uh, but many of them are kind of the old school mentality of developing players for the college game, which is a completely different mindset and a different setup entirely. And there's also the uh, elephant in the room when it comes to a lot of those independent clubs is how do you make money? People sign up play at your club and pay you okay we know those prices are going up when people are paying more for those things what do they want i think they want their kid to be a professional player but how do they get there i think the youth clubs a lot of times sell them on winning trophies winning tournaments which as we know at the youth level is not the way to develop a player if you have a bunch of youth trophies that doesn't mean you're going to be a pro player. There's just no way to guarantee that. And if you're designed at U14, 13, 15 to win things, you're probably not designed to develop players to be at their best potential later on. Because those things are hard to, to quantify sometimes. We've talked about this with reserve teams at the pro level when you're talking about 13s and 14s and 15s it's a, it's even more important to develop the players the right way but saying that i'm going to develop this player and they're going to reach their their utmost potential even though that is absolutely the way to do it that's a little bit harder sell to somebody who's going to cut you a check they want to see something they're going to get back for their check Sometimes those medals and those trophies are what they think they want and they pay to be at those clubs, but those clubs then aren't developing pro players. And it's all a cycle that is where we are. It's gotten a lot better, a whole lot better. There's still work to do. And it's never going to be purely the Federation has all of the coaches all over the country working in this way. It's never going to be that way in this country. There's too many varied influences. It's too big of a country. It just won't happen. Um, 
Now, let's get into U.S. soccer right now because this all does tie into a, I think, very important piece of news that came out yesterday. Now, yesterday was the deadline in Chicago where U.S. soccer is based for people who are interested in running for U.S. soccer president to submit their candidacy. Cindy Parlo-Cohn has been the president since March of 2020. She took over when Carlos Cordero stepped down. She was the vice president, became the president, was elected to a new term. Um, She announced in late August that she would seek election for a full four-year term. The U.S. Soccer National Council meeting is in Atlanta on March 5th. No other candidate had stepped forward publicly. There really wasn't any thought that this was going to be a race. Well, Jeff Carlisle and Caitlin Murray of ESPN reported yesterday, citing sources, that Carlos Cordero was considering a run. He has the necessary nominations from Federation members. Carlos Cordero didn't leave on good terms, John. Um, You remember how all that went down, where he really botched a lot of things, or he either botched them directly, or he botched them by not paying close enough attention to the U.S. women's national team, CBA and equal pay and all the arguments about that. And then there were some very ridiculous arguments made by legal counsel that put Carlos Cordero in a position under pressure from sponsors that he had to step down. Yeah, you go back to March of 2020 and three days after the Federation's legal filings were made public, Cordero steps down and this is the whole Safarth Shaw uh, law firm argument, and they're the they were the uh, labor management firm, and the entire I'll say fiasco involving Safarth Shaw. You know, they're fired as counsel after Cordero resigns in uh, the lawsuit involving the the U.S. Soccer Federation. Lydia Walkie goes on leave. The uh, the chief legal officer. Sidney Parlo Cohn orders an external investigation in handling the case. And you circle back now to almost two years later after Carlos Cordero steps down and it looks like he wants back in. And looking at it at first blush, I still think that Carlos Cordero is too hot to touch. I think that, that he is still too hot to touch in this situation, even though he has the the proper number of, of nominations here. I just, I wonder what the rationale is by those individuals to want to bring Carlos Cordero back into the conversation after what happened two years ago. And it, for a great deal of folks, is still very, very fresh when it comes to the U.S. soccer community. I just, when I saw this come across yesterday, it was just a lot, it brought a lot of questions for me. There's a, there's a thought that the U.S. soccer community is very monolithic and all the same. I can guarantee you that it ain't. It ain't. Um, You've got a lot of issues where, the youth game gets angry about the way the professional game is, is doing things and the influence that they have. You got to remember before really like 1990 or 91, I think it was 90 when Alan Rothenberg became president of U S soccer, 
up to that point, U.S. soccer was basically run out of somebody's kitchen. I mean, it was a very tiny organization. That's why they really weren't able to support or help the NASL because, I mean, a lot of people didn't have any real want or desire to. Um, and they didn't have any staff. They, they, didn't, they weren't a professional organization. I mean, you can question their professionalism even since the times that we've had a World Cup and now a, a league like MLS and all the different things. But you have a lot of people inside U.S. soccer with influence who don't care about the things that you talked about. They, they frankly don't care. Um, Jeff Carlisle's article at ESPN says that dissatisfaction among U.S. soccer's voting membership has been building with Cindy Parlow Cone especially within the state associations. The state associations are primarily driven by the youth game and primarily driven by the competitive youth game. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, some states might be a little bit different. Uh, in, in Georgia, it actually has shifted a lot because a lot of the highly competitive youth clubs have left the state association. So the state association leadership and, and influence is very different than it used to be. But the state associations are really handling youth some of them have larger you know adult recreational adult competitive amateur populations within it but there's far more youth influence than adult there's a lot of them who really could honestly care less about what mls is doing what the nwsl is doing what usl is doing anything with the professional game there are still some who think that the professional game is taking money away from them um, that still is there because instead of that really talented kid paying thousands of dollars to play at the local youth club, they're part of the professional academy in that city, and that's taking money off their table. And the trickle down is you're losing a really good player, so you're not going to go and win that turkey trot tournament and be able to put that on the CV, and there you go. So there's also some changes in the way things have, have been structured, and a lot of this is down to um, – the Paralympic and, or Empowering Olympic, Paralympic, and Amateur Athletes Act. Uh, you had to change the voting structure a, a little bit as that act came into the fore. Uh, the athlete representation on boards and committees of national governing bodies has been increased from 20% to 33.3%. There's a lot of state associations who are very angry about this because they've had more influence and that's going to be taken away. And the athletes will have more influence and a lot of state association people are still bent out of shape about the players council, the, the players portion really being involved. And it's funny in Cordero getting elected 
over some other candidates last time around before Cindy Parlo Cohn took over from Carlos Cordero. So you've got politics going on behind the scenes is, is the crux of all this. And you've got a lot of constituencies that are never going to be in alignment. Never. Now, there's some other things to this, too, that I think are, are more valid concerns. Um, what is being done on the 2026 World Cup? There's a concern in influential people in U.S. soccer that U.S. soccer is not doing enough. It, it should be the, the front and center of the Federation's agenda. Everything should be based off 2026 and, and pushing to that. Uh, some people think that Cordero, because of his work with FIFA to secure those rights, um, and being involved in FIFA committees that Cordero would be better positioned to do that. That in a lot of ways is playing off of the, I mean, essentially a, a coup that FIFA did on U.S. soccer in the 90s when Rothenberg became president because they basically told U.S. soccer at that time and told the membership that Werner Fricker, who was in charge at the time, Werner Fricker, a longtime U.S. soccer guy to come through all the ranks of, of U.S. soccer at that time, that he didn't have the necessary connections to run a proper World Cup and to get it done. And if they couldn't get things done, then there was a threat of taking the World Cup away in 94 and taking it to England or taking it to Germany. That was a real threat. And basically, FIFA showed up with their candidate and said, this is what you people need to do. You need to vote for him. And they did. But this is kind of playing off of that the other way now of, well, Carlos Cordero helped get the World Cup. Carlos Cordero was on FIFA committees. He's obviously going to be able to work with FIFA better and make the World Cup a bigger deal in this country. It needs to be a bigger deal. Uh, another source for Carlisle said that there was certain segments of the voting membership that Cindy Parlo Cohn, quote, only cares about the senior national teams and does not respect the voting membership and what they do for the sport. And that's the dance that the, the Federation president has to do because you have to run the things that are big deals effectively. The World Cup's a big deal. The senior national teams are a big deal. The professional leagues are a big deal. They're the biggest deals. They're the most high-profile deals. If something goes wrong, you're done. You're done. You've you got to go. But a lot of the membership and the voting membership has nothing to do with those things. They're focused on their clubs, their youth clubs, their state associations, what's going on in their state. They don't really care. In some cases, not all, in some. So it's tough. It's a real weird political battle. I'm blown away that it's Cordero who's getting pushed back to the fore. I, I get the World Cup component of it because he would be the only one who would fit that bill. You, I don't think they felt like they could go back to somebody like Sunil Gulati after, you know, how negative it was pushing him out when the, the senior national team didn't qualify. And that's why you might care a lot about what the senior national teams do, because that's why he got pushed. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I Now, he might run. I don't think he gets reelected because I do think the heat's going to be too hot, like you said. I think the this is all going to be brought back up that he allowed this negligence or he agreed to it or whatever, however it played out. It, it was embarrassing what Federation council said about the women's national team and about women's soccer in general. It was embarrassing. He's not going to be able to get over that. Not this quickly, but it does show that there are fractions 
in U.S. soccer. And it's something that that Cindy Parlo Cohn, if she gets reelected, is going to have to work to try to to fix. So then let me ask you this with Cordero, and it's it's something that has stuck with me as a part of this discussion this morning. Cordero, if he is offered forward. Two years ago, you had major corporate sponsors come forward and say that U.S. soccer's handling of the lawsuit, Coke called it unacceptable and offensive. Mm-hmm. Deloitte was deeply offended. VW said they were disgusted. Am I looking at this where corporate sponsors like this would continue to have sway, or do you look at it from the perspective of we can get other corporate sponsors if you're Cordero and he is he's offered forward? Is how how big would the corporate element be in all of this? when it comes to presenting someone like Cordero, considering what happened two years ago? Can you get other high-powered sponsors to replace those that are as offended as they were two years ago? No, I I, I don't think you're going to be able to pull that off. I just don't think it works. Um, we'll see. I think it is a very bad political move by the people who are are putting Cordero out there and, and supporting his nomination. Um, I don't know who else they could have offered up instead. I would assume there would have to be somebody. Now, maybe they wouldn't have the direct FIFA connection to helping get this World Cup, but I'm sure there's somebody that they could have found that would have been a more palatable candidate and actually might have been successful. This one won't be. I just don't see how it is. I, I think ultimately... And with those changes, and and look, they are, I get the state associations being mad about losing power, but the reason that that act was created was really down to the, the Larry Nasser case. And it was down to increasing athlete representation on these governing bodies. And while U.S. soccer hasn't had that issue, it's going to change the governance of U.S. soccer because the athletes, which are generally pro-athletes, are going to have more influence than they've ever had before. So this is going to be a big change. And um, some people are not happy about said big change. So we'll keep monitoring that situation. March 5th is the National Council meeting here in Atlanta for that. That's where they will vote. Uh, Very curious to see if it is a vote filled with friction. Could be. Sounds like it could be anyway. We'll find out. All right, John, tell us about Toka football and eliminize right about now. Question for you. Do you have a young soccer player in your family? Have you ever, 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 ever considered private instruction with a professional instructor to take your favorite player's game to the next level? Toka football has four, one, two, three, four indoor soccer training centers in the Atlanta area. Their trainers utilize innovative technology in a fun environment to help improve your skill and decision, the skill and decision making of your favorite player. Give Toka Football a try. Why don't you? SDH is partnering with Toka to offer our listeners an opportunity to check out their revolutionary and fun Toka soccer training method for no cost whatsoever. Book your F-R-E-E free session right now with the promo code D-H. D-H, that's your promo code. Go to tokafootball.com slash program slash Toka dash training. Tokafootball.com slash program slash T-O-C-A dash training. Or go to soccerdownhere.net, click on the Toka football banner, and get your favorite player's game headed to the next level right then and there. 
SDH is also brought to you by Eliminize Service for odor-free, clean, fresh air. Eliminize deodorizes enclosed spaces like houses, apartments, and condos. They've created a customized solution that eliminizes all organic odors, including those like pets, cigarettes, or food. Realtors and property managers use Eliminize Service to eliminize bad odors to help them sell or rent their homes that much faster. Eliminize offers a turnkey process that makes it easy to work with realtors and property managers. It's a green way to get rid of odors without any kind of toxic residue, different than your favorite masking agent that you might have underneath the sink in your kitchen. It's a proven scientific formula that, that destroys odors down to the molecule. Pricing is easy. Either by the cubic foot or parts per million to give you a price that is affordable, offering results in 24 hours or less. For questions frequently asked or otherwise, go to eliminize.com slash Atlanta, E-L-I-M-I-N-I-Z.com slash Atlanta. Make sure that you put the slash Atlanta part in there so they know what part of the world you are talking from. Eliminize services, proud sponsors of everything SDH for odor-free clean. Fresh air. Thank you, John. All right. Again, we're learning some new tricks with this setup because uh, I, I think I dropped the music at one point when I muted myself. Sorry about that. Um, again, learning tricks, and there's some weird things going on on John's connection that I can't quite figure out at times. But, yeah, I don't know, John. Just keep turning your head sideways. We'll try to figure it out. Everything, Like I said, everything on my end coming from you sounds fine in the headset. And uh, I didn't hear any interruption in the music. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh, then maybe it wasn't there. Maybe Kessie was, was joking. I don't know. Um, all right. Let's uh, give this a try. For the first time, we are adding Mr. Mike Conti to the show. No video, but what's up, Mike? Uh-oh, I hear an echo. That it's might gonna go away. Good. It's going to go away. You're good. It's going to go away. It should be gone now. I'm okay. not hearing it. Yeah, I, I don't hear it. Do you, yeah. do you hear me clearly? Yeah, you're, you sound crystal clear. Okay. All right. Well, thank goodness. I always get nervous when we try new technology. Yeah, it, it's something, and this happens with with Jarrett. Um, it, it's another time for production meeting down here. Um, <laughs> are, are you connected on your phone, Mike? Yes, I am. I think I am. that's what it is. I think phones, when they first connect, when the audio comes up, there's like a three to five second bit where it, it overlaps. Okay. And there's that feedback loop, but then it, it disappears. Gotcha. So as long I, I can hear you guys, great. I sound okay. I don't need to disconnect or anything like that. No, no. Sounds perfect. Okay. Well, then good. Sounds perfect. We even got a little banner for you on the screen. Very nice. Yeah, I'm not going to turn my camera on, though. No, no, you're uh, good. You're good. If you Just don't mind. know that whenever you want to, you can with this. It's very easy. It's it's like a Zoom, and we'll probably be doing it for stoppage time later. So good to know. Morning. Good to we'll, know. Uh, we'll see how it works there because I think we might be able to do something that we haven't been able to do for a little while and, and well, make this, this work really well. The, the system you're using is actually pretty good. I, I've done some other uh, podcasts on it and like as a guest on other people's yeah. podcasts. It, it seems to work really well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot easier. Um, there's not quite as many moving parts. There's a few things that are different that I'm still getting the hang of. But in general, yeah, I think it's going to work. I think it's going to allow us to do some uh, new things with my production suite. A um, couple things. Uh, Bart says your call on Sunday was awesome. Hope you thought out. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, thanks, Bart. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a throwback to uh, my days growing up in uh, in Pennsylvania because. Uh, it reminded me as we were there on New Year's Day and it was getting dark at 4.30 in the afternoon. It reminded me why I uh, ran to the South as soon as I possibly could after college. <laughs> Man, it, it is just, 
that is so depressing when it, it's overcast and it's gross weather every Lake day of the week. Snows and, and Orchard Park being out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, John, you would have liked this though. the The hotel they had us at was connected to um, what's now called the Key Bank Center. It'll always be the Marine oh, Midland I... Arena to me. Um, no, the odd has not existed for I know. <laughs> decades now. But uh, uh, the 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 arena in which the Sabers play, they they actually made it very nice. They built a hotel that's connected to it, and that's where we stayed. Welcome. And they had a Tim Hortons on the ground floor that was all Sabers themed, mm. and it was absolutely amazing. And I think actually, to John's point, they may have repurposed some of the old wooden seats from the Odd. Oh. Uh, and used it as seating in the Tim Horton. So I was geeking out over that. Did they have like Generet Java or anything like that? No, uh, they didn't have Generet Java. It, uh, but the Buffalo engineer told me Rick Generet is still doing games. Home games, yeah. Incredible. I guess this is going to be his last year. Yeah, it is. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, and for those of you who don't know who we're talking about, Rick Generet, I think, may be the original TV and radio voice of the Buffalo Sabres. And they came into the league in, what, John, 71, 72? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's someone who's literally been doing it for 50 years. Uh, anyhow, this is not hockey down here. This Welcome is hockey down, hockey down here. Down here. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm out of this conversation. I got nothing to add. <laughs> but, Bart, thank you. I appreciate you listening. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, <laughs> kind of an interesting referee situation towards the end of that game. Well, it's not like uh, we haven't been prepared for that before, have we, Jason? Yeah, I, I don't think Arch uh, was going to yell like I did at Josie Altador, though. Uh, well, you didn't hear the off-air discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he hasn't heard some of our off-air discussions. No, either. true, true. I don't know if the Falcons would have won that game, Same, but I, I, I sure would have liked to have seen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What would have happened? Um, I, it's a shame, but what are you going to do? I mean, as it turns out, even if the Falcons had won on Sunday, uh, they didn't get the help they needed from Philadelphia and San Francisco. So it probably wouldn't have mattered, but, uh, right. um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's crazy. I mean, we were just in Toronto, basically the same part of the world a couple months ago, and we had very questionable stuff at the end of that match. What is it about the golden horseshoe, Mike? Uh, yeah. What is it about the coast of Lake Ontario? I have no <laughs> idea. Although I guess Buffalo is technically on the coast of Lake Erie. I was, uh, I was gently corrected about that on Sunday. Yeah, it was a little slightly south of Niagara Falls. So, yeah, I think it would be. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got a bunch of MLS stuff to get into. Uh, one thing we haven't really talked about on the show this week, and pictures were coming out yesterday, uh, new Atlanta United 2 signing, David Mejia, 
is with Peru's U20s right now in a training camp. And it's kind of a joint training camp because I think the Peruvian league is on their break at the moment. And you have the senior national team training ahead of World Cup qualifiers at the end of the month. And the U20s, including David Mejia, a few other uh, MLS young academy people or next pro guys, uh, are playing against the Peruvian national team in training camp right now. It's a great experience for Mejia. And we lost Mike. And um, yes. we'll, we'll find him back somewhere. Uh, the phone connections sometimes get weird. There he is. Well, let's bring Thanks. him back to the show. I, there we I, go, Mike. I learned something. Wow. Uh, unlike a phone call or a Skype call, I can actually uh, bump myself out of this chat with my ear. Oh, <laughs> not good. So at least I figured it out within about 30 seconds. Yeah, we're learning. We're all, we're all learning new tricks around here. Sorry um, about that. No, I'm thinking about Davi Mejia, though. Yeah, Mejia's with the Peruvian U-20 national team right now in training camp. They're doing a joint camp with the senior Peruvian national team. He's preparing for World Cup qualifiers or scrimmaging with the, the senior team, with Alexander Callens and, and others that you'd, you'd know. But it's a great experience for Mejia, and it's going to set him up really well to come into Atlanta United 2 camp and probably training a good bit with the first team this year, I would assume. It sets him up to really hit the ground running. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of who else would be in that camp. Is Yoshi Yotun up with Peru right now? I think he is because, if I'm not mistaken, he might be out of contract at the moment. I thought I saw something. I uh, maybe maybe I'm confusing him for someone else. I thought I saw something linking him going back to Orlando. Maybe there is a link, but it hasn't gone through yet. Got it. Okay. Okay. Well, anyhow, I mean, yes, absolutely. And I, I think you know we've talked about this before with with Caleb Wiley and and some of the other young guys who have had chance to get into a, a U20 or a U23 or even a U17 camp. The fact that they're working with the senior team is um i mean that's huge that that's that's a huge huge plus for david mejia and hopefully he goes there and he asserts himself and it, it ends up being a a confidence building experience because um you know the other thing it, it probably does from a fitness and a conditioning standpoint is it probably puts him in the atlanta united two training camp with a little bit of a head start yeah. um you know we I, I, especially for the twos i'd assume their training camp probably yeah ramps up maybe slightly later than than the first team because the usl championship season is going to start slightly later but uh i don't know about you guys i still have not seen or heard any kind of calendar timeline anything like that um so i guess we'll just kind of have to wait and see but we know at the very least that he will have a pretty nice head start going into training camp from a, a fitness standpoint yeah, what we know on timelines at this point is uh, Don Garber in a, a letter to, I guess, everybody on the MLS mailing list. Yeah, I got uh, it, too. Yeah. I must have uh, bought a ticket from the wrong place or something <laughs> like that. Uh, he, uh, he said that training camps were opening on the 16th. We've seen a few teams that have announced the 16th. We, we've heard some rumors about the LA Galaxy, for example, having a, a little mini tournament or, or whatever in Palm Springs. Um, I would assume, and this is a guess on my part, that the CONCACAF teams would probably start a few days early because typically they have. Uh, USL Championship, we just know the format. We don't know even when the, the season is officially set to start, but it's probably going to be uh, along the lines of the first week of March, so right after MLS. So there could be like a week's difference or so. 
Um, but we've seen too where Atlanta United two guys who are contracted have come in when the MLS guys come in and are available for preseason training. So I don't know how different that would be. Um, my guess, and I mean, I, 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 we're all figuring this out as we go. My guess is everybody's in a little bit of a holding pattern in terms of potentially tweaking their plans because of the Omicron variant. Um, yeah, although I, I, I'm not certain about that. Um, you guess know, maybe it, that's why it's not public. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because, I mean, Garber in that letter made it seem pretty clear that everything's going to start on time at the end of next month, which, yeah, uh, sure. you know, we're inside of eight weeks now. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the longer that that uh, the NBA and uh, the NFL go without stopping makes me think even more and more that uh, it's going to be more difficult for MLS to get things started on time. Um, I, you know, what will be interested when training camps start is that I'm, I'm certain there will have to be some kind of intake testing and, um, you know, are you potentially going to be at risk of losing a meaningful week to 10 days at the start of training camp because everyone comes in positive? Um, you know, that, that I think would be one of the questions that to me, if you can work it out with the players union might actually be an incentive to try to start things a couple days early, you know, and, and you hate to operate under the assumption that everyone who comes into your camp is going to come in probably testing positive, but the way things are going right now, um, I don't know if that's, that's completely unrealistic. You have to operate under that. I mean, we're seeing the, the European leagues that did a, a winter break where guys went on vacations and I mean, Manuel Neuer is tested positive and was stuck in the Maldives. You know, not a bad place to be. No, I'll quarantine there. Yes. That's not bad. You at know, all. Uh, Lionel Messi tested positive. He was quarantining at his home in Rosario. Again, not too bad. Not bad. Probably okay. He's tested yeah. negative now and he's on his way to Paris. But so many of those guys just coming back, even trying to get on planes to go back to their clubs, were testing positive and had to quarantine where they were. Yeah. So, I mean, that. That's the thing. If you can work it out, like, kind of voluntarily with the players' union, that, that hey, we're going to start camp on the 16th, but really, uh, if you would be willing to voluntarily report, like, on the, the 12th, and you, you get all those quarantines out of the way, because that is going to be interesting, especially for CONCACAF teams and, and teams that might have a, a friendly or a preseason fixture uh, scheduled maybe at the tail end of January. Um you know, because you, you could run the risk of, like, for example, if a team has 32 or 33 guys in its training camp, and I'm assuming maybe some tryout players or some trialists or something like that, uh, you know, and if 15 come in testing positive, it really does change what you can do, uh, you know, at least from a tactical standpoint in training while you have half your team out. So that might be one kind of logistical wrinkle that, that, you know, maybe they are trying to work out still. And that's why we haven't had an announcement yet on, on any specific dates. But uh, I mean, the, the impression I got, the strong impression I got, because I was looking for it when I saw the letter is, um, you know, it seems like they're really committed to starting things on the yeah. 26th. And, and I don't see any reason to believe that that will not happen. Totally agree. I think it's, it's down to, 
disruptions in the early stages of training camp that right. maybe are, are why we're, it's and, a little quiet. Yeah, and the Canadian teams, I mean, it, they've got to figure that part out. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, because yeah, you're, you're looking at all three of those provinces. I mean, it, it, in a way it's unfortunate MLS doesn't have a team in Alberta. Um, because all three of those provinces right now are looking like no fans, um, at least to start. And, you know, does the league maybe look at what the national hockey league has done and move some of the the home fixtures for the Canadian teams in February and March and, and flip them to road fixtures. Uh, But at this point, I don't know logistically if it's possible to redraw the schedules of all 27 teams to accommodate that. I don't think you can. I just, it it seems like it's too much of a, an obstacle to try to, to reorient things right now and try to give dates and home games and things like that it just seems like that's a big mountain to climb what you hope is that those three canadian teams have conference games at the beginning of their schedule so like for example if if toronto was going to play red bulls on and i i I don't have their schedule in front of me but let's say toronto was going to play red bulls in early march and then uh that was going to be in toronto in march and then they were going to play again in july at red bull you could potentially flip that. You could play the game at Red Bull in March and the game in July up there in Toronto when, when maybe they could have more fans. But if, if a Canadian team is opening up with a cross-conference game, uh, you know, you're know you not going to move a home game between Toronto and Dallas uh, to Dallas because there, there's no reciprocal game coming back. Um, you know, I, I think MLS actually thought ahead on this a little bit. I'm I'm glancing through it. Toronto's yeah. at Dallas opening day. Okay. Vancouver no problem. Is at Columbus. No problem. Uh, Montreal is at Orlando on the 27th. No, no problem. Tor- Montreal could be camping in Orlando for all we know. Yeah. Now Toronto and Montreal are at home on March 5th. Yep. Uh, Red Bulls for Toronto, Philadelphia for Montreal. You could flip those if you had to, because mm-hmm. you're going to play them home and away. Uh, Vancouver is at home against New York City, which would be one you couldn't flip. That's right. on March fifth. Right. But at least the first week, you got a, a week of buffer. Yeah. So I mean, it, you could pull it off I again. Think so. I, I think the three of us are in agreement that uh, uh, I, I'm not anticipating any delays or anything like that. I, I do know that Atlanta United's had some plans on the books for a while about what specifically they want to do with preseason friendlies. I'm not exactly sure they they're in the same spot now with those plans as they might've been when they were booked last October. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact. I mean, look, Atlanta United last year was still able to play. I mean, some of the friendlies were weird because they were like double games, but you were still able to play Tormenta and Charleston and Birmingham. Uh, and I think, I want to say they played another one. I mean, maybe North Carolina, Chattanooga FC, Chattanooga. That's it. Right. Um, Like you, you, you can be flexible and play enough friendlies to, to feel ready to go for the first game of the season. I I don't think that's going to be that big of a deal. You know, you add in uh, Toronto, they've got a home game on March 19th against DC. And then their first one in April is NYC at BMO. So there is some wiggle room to get you through. Yeah. I, and I feel again, I mean, here I'm putting my, my optimistic hat on. I, I really do think by April, 
I don't know if this thing's going to have anyone left to infect by then. So I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping, you know, I, I really even think by late February, the league is probably going to be okay. The, the league so. had horrible luck with what the timing of how everything hit in 2020, but they're much better set up from a timing. Really, if you think about it, I mean, now a Philadelphia Union fan might be screaming at me right now when I say this, but if you think yeah. about it, uh, the league actually got really lucky with the timing of this thing. And one thing I'm wondering about Philly is I'm wondering if their outbreak was Omicron uh, or if it might have still have been Delta. Um, because when their thing hit, it was still last week of November. Am I right? First week of December. Yeah. Uh, and it really seemed to have come around uh, Olivier Baiso coming back from Cameroon. That was what. Right. The reporting was pointing towards, I mean, of course, it's almost impossible to nail it down, but you had a few players coming back from World Cup qualifying, and then you had an outbreak. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Mike hit the button again. <laughs> he hit his ear on it again. Oh, no. We're going to have to get Mike set up with the headset and all that. Um, again, working through these things. He'll be right back. There he is. Yeah, my goodness. I, I got it. <laughs> I guess I'm going to be on the Chromebook with you guys from now on. But, I mean, it, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, but, yeah, anyhow, I mean, I, I, long story short, I don't anticipate anything really screwy happening the first couple weeks of the season. I, I think MLS is going to be just fine. I think so, too. I think so, too. Uh, some moves that happened in the league yesterday. Uh, Dominic Baji signs with Cincinnati as a free agent. Uh, mm -hmm. Brendan Hines Ike got a permanent deal to, to come from Belgium. He was here on loan last year with DC. Inter Miami acquired Bryce Duke, and there are lots of conversations about what Miami is going to look like next year. But Duke is the only move that has happened so far. And the probably the biggest move is Nashville signing Sean Davis, which had been reported last right. week, but gets done. Davis reportedly took less money to go to Nashville and leave Red Bull where he came up. That's a big statement, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I didn't know that part of it. That's interesting. Um, it, look, if you're a player who wants to win a cup, uh, Nashville's better set up long-term to do that than Red Bull's. They are. Um, and, and, you know, Red Bull's, they, they want you to play in a certain way to fit their system. And if Sean Davis is looking at, uh, you know, assessing the likelihood or unlikelihood of him moving on to to Salzburg or Leipzig or anything like that. He feels like his, his time in the Red Bull pipeline is up. Then, I mean, there are way worse places in the league to go than Nashville. Uh, Nashville, you know, we know that Atlanta United, we know Atlanta is a destination club or thought to be a destination club based on the results of that players union survey. But if you look at Nashville and how intelligently they have constructed their team, the fact that they're moving into a new stadium, the fact that they're a well-supported club uh, that has been an Eastern conference contender in each of their first two years, uh, that's not a bad place for Sean Davis to go. And it, Sean Davis, I, I think really fits in there with, with guys like Dax McCarty and uh, Walker Zimmerman, who have been around the block a bit in this league and have been very, very good MLS players. And Sean Davis is another player that's that's going to help that team uh, play the way they want to play, which is not necessarily, you know, go out and score five goals a match, but be very, very smart, cerebral, and, um, you know, mitigate risk. 
uh, that's how Nashville has been so successful in their first two years. And I think Sean Davis will be an excellent fit there. When you're looking at Toronto FC, the news is about Insigne, five years, 80. We know, wow. Mike, well, wow. and Mike, you're looking at MLSE, Mike, you know, we know from other sports, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment is going to go ahead and spray the loonies and tunes. Yes, they are. Place. And it's Insigne, and it looks like they're, they're possibly bringing in Belotti as well. That's another discussion point. Could be bringing in a third defender from Italy. Once again, uh, dropping a whole lot of dime to, to bring mm-hmm. in players. And Insigne looks like he's coming in the summer. Yeah, and I, I don't think they, uh, you know, spend pennies on the dollar to get Bob Bradley either. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that you're right. They uh, they did this with the Maple Leafs before the National Hockey League got to crack down on them, and they did everything they possibly could. I mean, Kawhi Leonard had a mm-hmm. had a very substantial offer to stay there. I mean, in fact, I think Kawhi Leonard took less money to go to the Clippers uh, or they worked out a sign and trade or something where the, the money worked out the same, but they, they wanted to pay Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely Maple Leaf sports and entertainment. They're very ambitious. And, and I'll, I'll just be curious from a chemistry standpoint to see how it all works because you're, you are bringing in some personalities. Um, and I, I think Bob Bradley is a manager who can help, um, you know, ease a lot of that transition because he's worked with big personalities too. Um, but, but that is one thing that you always kind of wonder when you, when you bring in a couple big players who have had a lot of success internationally, big personalities still in the prime of their career coming to MLS. Um, how do you keep them? How do you keep them in a spot mentally where it will work? Uh, I think that's one of the problems Miami had. Uh, in their first two years, they brought in some big players and from a chemistry standpoint, didn't necessarily work. Um, but it, you have to absolutely. I mean, right now, to this point today, Toronto's won the offseason in MLS. Uh, to this point, it's still a long way to go. Long, long way to go. But as we sit here on on January, what's today? The 5th. Yes. Um, they've won it so far as far as um, the the preseason is concerned. They've won the, the, the preseason hype contest. No doubt. We'll see if they win on the field because right now, as they're currently constructed, they're going to have to be winning games 5-4. Mm-hmm. Um, that, but that's fine. That, that's, I, you know, and maybe they can. I mean, they have no backline whatsoever right now to speak of. It's not very balanced. They've got they've got some decent players, but they're all getting up there. It's outside of Richie Larea, who can't seem to stand on two feet. Yeah. Um, Kamar Lawrence is still good, but he's getting up there. Uh, he's your only left back on the roster right now. Larea and Alro are on the right side. You have Chris Mavinga, you have Shane O'Neill, you have Luke Singh. Mavinga's getting up there. He's dropped off a little bit. O'Neill has dropped off a little bit as he's gotten older. Like that's that's not a recipe for success with Michael Bradley in front of you who has dropped off with what he can give you from a mobility standpoint. The front six. If and and depending on how they do it, I mean they're linked to Bellotti um, as well, which would be a huge forward signing. Um, there's still, I guess, the possibility that Giovinco comes back, although that sounds like it's not going to happen. Um, the front six is dangerous with Bradley, with Osorio, with Delgado, with Posuelo, with Insigne, and Bellotti or somebody else up top. Whew. Yeah, but they're not going to be able to defend very well with that. No. No, but that uh, look, they're going to be fun to watch. Uh, I yeah, don't think yeah, there's any sure. doubt about that. 
So, but there's sure. still a long way to go in all this, as you guys know. I mean, we're still literally eight weeks, well, seven and a half weeks away now from um, a, a game being played, a league game being played. So, um, a lot can happen between now and then. And Insigne is not even going to be here until this summer. Right. So a lot can happen between now and then. But but Toronto absolutely, um, you know, they've they they've sent some pretty powerful messages. I like the way that DC, by the way, threw a little head fake at everyone yesterday and announcing the Heinz Ike signing, uh, tweeting about ketchup. Some people yes. actually out there on Twitter believe that DC was hiring Gabriel Heinze as an assistant. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ernest and Gabriel Heinze on the same technical staff. That'd be a fun reality show. It, no, it'd be great, but Heinze's never going to be an assistant anywhere. Let's let's go. Now, Heinze's never going to be an MLS again. Uh, I, I I will absolutely. Probably not. Oh, I, I I can't see any realistic way that happens. <laughs> any realistic way that Gabriel Heinze is an MLS again. All right, now he's not getting a job in Argentina because there were a bunch of jobs that were open, and I don't know if he was actually going after any of them. Um, True. That's the one thing to keep in mind. But his name came up a lot because he's a name. But San Lorenzo, Independiente, Colón, like all those jobs were open. Some of those teams are in Copa Libertadores, which would be interesting jobs. He didn't take any of them or didn't get offered any of them. So yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, We'll see what happens. Um, I, I wanted to touch on the, the this last thing with you before we let you go because we got to save some good stuff for, for stoppage time today. Um. The comment about like guys like Insigne, guys coming in their prime, and I, I'm with you. I think a guy coming at 30, coming off of winning the Euros, uh, a regular in Serie A, absolutely in the prime, great signing in that situation. How to keep them engaged? I think it's down to the personality. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we saw that Blaise Matuidi does not have the personality that MLS needs to sign. He was also a little bit older, too. Right. If you're getting those guys at 29 to 32 let's put that kind of a range on it guys who are maybe not on their last contract but they're next to last Mm -hmm. who are still doing it Mm -hmm. i think their individual personalities are what's important because we saw miami as the the absolute microcosm of this we'll leave pizarro to the side because he's coming from liga mx which isn't as different he's always been known as kind of an odd duck at times so We'll leave him over to the side. Matweedy and Iguain show you what you're looking for. The guy like Matweedy, you can't get because he has no motivation to to bring it game after game. Mm-hmm. And a guy like Iguain is going to run himself into the ground trying to bring it every time. You need the Iguain types of personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. Insigne is that guy too. By the way, I, I, I do. I, I do too. I mean, um, you know, I don't know. I, ton about him but in the very little i do know about him uh yeah but but you don't see him going on tiktok and uh you know posting videos himself ironing shirts um you know or (laughs) anything like (laughs) that'd be me well well, didn't balotelli do that like i i I don't know probably yeah i i don't i'm optimistic that from a personality standpoint he's going to be a good fit the five-year contract that John mentions is is maybe proof of that commitment. Um, that to me, maybe stands out more than anything else. That you know, when a player like Insigne signs a five-year contract with um, MLS, not only is it the league making a commitment to the player, but it really is a, a player making a commitment to the league. And I also think, you know, 
the Toronto market, I think, might work a little bit differently than the Miami market as far yeah. as the ability to maybe have better focus on soccer. Um, I'm not saying that Matweedy was not focused in Miami, but I don't think Matweedy necessarily thought through the, um, I don't know, the the climate differences, I and mean, literally the climate, like the hot yeah. weather and the things that, that someone like him probably at his age doesn't want to be training in 90% humidity at 10 in the morning in Florida sunshine. Like I mean, I, I, a rude awakening from Santi Sosa too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like in Toronto, you don't necessarily have to worry about things like yeah. that. Plus, plus I think in Toronto, you know, a guy like Insigne is going to be a big personality in that market. I think he'll be treated like a celebrity in that market. So I, I don't yeah. think, I don't think Insigne is looking at going to Toronto as, oh, I'm in soccer purgatory now. I, I think, honestly, it's quite the opposite. So I, I'm optimistic that it'll work out. But I, I think, again, the manager becomes very, very key to all of that. And, uh, you know, Miami probably thought they had a manager who could deal with all those personalities in Diego Alonso, and it didn't work out that way. They do have one now, I think, in Phil think Neville. So. But I think... Phil Neville had to purge some of um, some of what he had to inherit. I think Bob Bradley's going to be just fine uh, in in dealing with those personalities because he's a veteran coach who's respected, and I think his national team experience it earns him a lot of respect for players who are coming across from 100%. from Europe to play for him. Hundred percent. I I think Bob's the right personality to deal with that, and I think. Insigne, just knowing the, a little bit about the culture at Napoli where he was developed and has played out his whole career and, and just the mentality that he's shown through his career, he'll he'll cut somebody to try to win. Yeah. <laughs> so That's good, I think, though. Yeah, I you need that. that. You need that. He'll set the tone, and I think he's going to be the right kind of guy that you invest in, and he's going to lead to more guys. I, I think MLS, you know, the whole retirement thing and all that, I get the idea that people still want to try to create narratives. That's this, not this. That's this is, not this at all. And and even with that, I'm okay with signing these kinds of guys when they fit and when they come for the right reasons and sure pay them because that's what they're going to want and all that. I get it. All that's fine. It's it's creates a really interesting league where you have the young up and coming guys like your Ricardo Pepe's who then move on to the Bundesliga, your Daryl DK's who move on to the English Championship for big money. And you have the Lorenzo Insignes and, and yes, the Zlatans like we've seen before who, who brought it. I mean, he ran his mouth and all that, but he scored goals and he, he, he came and he played Lampard came and he played Andrea Pirlo. Maybe not. Maybe he really couldn't play at that point And he didn't fit this league. It's not for everybody, but I like the variety that you get sometimes with some big stars coming in and add some spice to things while you're developing a lot of players as well. It's a, it's a cool mix. Yeah, I do too. I, I'm really excited. I, I, I just, I like what I'm seeing so far around the league. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the next week or two is only going to add to it, but I'm really, really excited. And especially in the Eastern conference, uh, okay. I, I just think there's so much depth and so much parity in the Eastern conference. I, I'm really, really excited to, to get to training camp and really start to, to break down these team sheets and, and figure out where teams are going to have strengths and weaknesses. Um, but uh, it, look, it's possible that Insigne is not going to be the only major international signing by MLS 
uh, this month. And, and that, that too, I think is something that's really, really enticing and exciting. Yeah. Very, very cool. Stoppage time, two o'clock. Uh, you can watch on Twitch, twitch.tv slash stoppage time, nine two nine. We'll get deep into the Atlanta United questions. If you've got them out there and maybe you can join us live. If you can't join us live, that's fine. If you want to go ahead and get us marinating on, on some of your ideas, tweet them at us at yeah. myconti929 or at Longshoe, and we'll jump into them this afternoon. Yeah, and I won't face dial during stoppage time. I promise you. <laughs> promise you that. I'm sorry. That this was new for me too. So I'll, I'll get better at that. Good, brother. This this week, it's all about new things in 2022. We're we're all learning together. Um, but yeah, I, I think we're going to do stoppage time in this kind of a format. Yeah, and, no, I, I like it. If it works on the Chromebook, we'll do it for sure. We're going to try to. Uh, if you want to watch, make sure you're watching on Twitch to be sure. But we're going to try to feed it live to Facebook as well. Oh, because we can do that with this new setup oh well that my goodness that's gonna make a lot of people down the hall here at the radio station very happy so that's 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 excellent why i've invested in things in 2022 (laughs) mike to make people happy yes well yeah yes you've made you've made knox very happy and sean i can tell you that we'll try to push it live there as well hopefully there's no hiccups on the facebook side of it but uh, it'll be on twitch as well so we'll be talking to y'all at two o'clock about atlanta united thanks mike all right guys talk to you later be good Make sure you are following Mike, Mike Conti929 on the Twitters and send your questions in so we can jump into them. We've got a little bit of this. So, Nico Cantor is sharing uh, Gaston Edul out of Argentina that Nicholas Figal of Inter Miami is headed to Boca Juniors. So, Enter Miami's two primary starting center backs from last season, Nicholas Figal and Leandro Gonzalez Perez, could be both on loan because this is a loan deal. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Both on loan to the heavyweights of Argentina in Boca and River. Yes. LGP to River has been reported extensively, has not happened yet. Figal, it's being reported uh, that he is going to play at Boca. Um, another site has that it will be a loan deal already in agreement between the two clubs. Um, there you go. Let's go back to Miami really quick, uh, because Michael Ruiz asks if they have any players left. Uh, they, they do allegedly, possibly, maybe, um, what do they have left? Uh, that's the really weird thing here because we don't know exactly what kind of room they have yesterday. We talked extensively about Michelle Kaufman's article in the Miami Herald and what she said about what she knew about the MLS rules and regulations and what it meant for what Miami could do. That's before this Figal thing is broken. What Kaufman wrote in the Miami Herald is that Rodolfo Pizarro going to Monterey, loan with an option to buy. Monterey, and this is from Kaufman's article, that Monterey will pick up most of his $3.35 million salary and the move clears $612,500 in salary cap space 
for Inter Miami. That's what a designated player who is not a young designated player, which is separate than the U22 initiatives. A 612-500 salary cap charge is what a DP hits on the cap. This would free that, but it doesn't free up the DP spot, according to Kaufman, because it doesn't include a loan fee. Okay. So then there was a long Twitter thread with multiple people involved in it. Paul Tenorio, who does know the MLS rules as well as anybody, and I think he has maybe seen some of the secret documents from time to time, or at least seen the cover page. Um, he had questions that were a little bit different along those lines. And there was a one big question was about Monterey paying most of the salary or not paying most of the salary. It's like they... Uh, Tenorio and others were coming at it from the idea that, no, it doesn't clear the cap space, but it clears the designated player spots. He's not on the roster. What? <laughs> what? And, and I just you know, banged my head against the wall for 20 minutes and passed out because it, 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 it's just too much. Yeah. Um, Kaufman and a bunch of other people have reported that LGP is, is out and it's a loan. Um, I'm assuming with an option to buy, because almost always in loans out of MLS, there's an option to buy. I would assume the same for Figal. So the question does come back up is, okay, if you're loaning them out, and we've, we've talked about this, it doesn't make sense from a Miami perspective and from a Chris Henderson perspective. It doesn't make sense if you are loaning these guys out to where they're not going to play for you but they're going to be on your cap. I mean, let's just think about it logically. Why would you do that when you're already cap restricted? You would be loaning guys out to get them off your roster and off your cap. I, I would think, and I, I would think Miami knows the rules by now, even though they didn't in their first year because they broke all of them. Um, okay, so that leaves Miami at the moment. Phil Neville with Gonzalo Higuain as your designated player up top. Uh, Blaze Matuidi is reportedly on the way out and in that thread of trying to figure out who has cap space and who has designated player spots and what all of it means and, you know, world peace and all that. Um, in that, it was alluded to that Miami might do the offseason buyout on Blaze Matuidi, but it was also questioned that they might do a mutual ending of the contract which is completely different it happens all the time at everywhere in the world where you have multiple years left on the deal that is reportedly on the table when it comes to Josie Altador as well who I think has two years left on the deal and according to some reports he has been offered a financial sum to end his deal early which would be basically I think it amounted to about one and a half years of the deal to pay it out up front to end the deal He's guaranteed two more years. That's kind of how this thing goes. And then he can pick wherever he wants to go. He becomes a free agent. Blaze Matweedy, that could be the situation where it is a mutual deal or it is your one offseason buyout where technically he's still under contract to MLS, but he's not going to be on Miami's books. Whatever. He's not expected to play for Miami. So take him out. So that means Iguain is your focal point. They got Ariel Lasseter in a trade with Houston. He's your, your backup forward, could play out wide. You got Robbie Robinson. You got a couple of younger guys in Felipe Valencia and Edison Ascona as wingers. Midfield, you got Gregory. You got John Mota coming in from Santos. You got Victor Ulloa. You've added Mo Adams. You've got Bryce Duke now from LAFC. In the back, you've got 
Christian McCoon, who did well last season. Uh, I think he is going to be a center back at this level. There was some talk he might be a defensive midfielder. I think he's a center back. Ian Frey, who is a homegrown signing, who hasn't quite really shown that he's ready yet. They are adding Jairo Quinteros, and that is one reason why your center backs are expendable. Quinteros has been a Bolivian national team player. He was on loan to Bolivar last year in Bolivia, which was uh, which is still owned by Marcelo Claure, or at least partially owned or managed or what have you, by Claure, who is no longer part of the Inter-Miami ownership group because of all the fallout from the finger pointing that Clow Ray did about the other parts of the ownership group who were breaking the rules when it came to Matweedy and all these other things. <sighs> Quinteros comes in. He should be able to jump into the lineup. You have Ryan Shawcross as well, who, if he's not melting during the summer in Miami, might be able to play a few minutes. Uh, Kieran Gibbs and Jovan Jones are your only fullbacks. They're both lefties. Nick Marsman, good goalkeeper. Drake Callender is your backup. Okay, fine. So... Looking at this at a glance for Miami, and you lose LGP, you lose Figal, Matuidi's gone, Pizarro is gone. That's been reported that he's uh, it's already done. He's in, in Monterey. All right. So you need a right back who can start. You probably need a outside back who can play on both sides. That's one. You go with Macoon and Quinteros, which something that Phil Neville, and it's something that Chris Henderson, they want to get hungrier. I think that last part was the dig at uh, Matuidi. Just a guess. So, Quinteros and Macoon is your center backs. Okay. You, you have Shawcross as a veteran backup. You have Frey as a number four. You're probably going to need one more center back. Maybe it's a young guy. I'm not sure. All right. So, that gets you to five center backs. You're going to need a number 10. You can give you something. Bryce Duke, I don't think is that answer. I think he's the depth piece there. Your holding midfield is actually pretty good. Uh, Gregory, I thought, was very good this past season. Uyoa, I like, jack of all trades, but can play as a six or an eight. Uh, Jean Mota, they're bringing in with some expectations from him coming in from Santos where he was a regular. And I think Mo Adams can contribute to that group. And I think he fits the way they, they want to go. So holding midfield, you're good. Up top, you're good with Gonzalo Higuain and, and Lasseter as a backup. You got one winger that I think is good and you want to play and see what you have in Robbie Robinson. But you need a right back, you need a 10, you need a left winger, and you need a good bit of depth. And they'll have, it sounds like, some decent combination after all of this of cap space and roster spots. You know, I mean, they're not going to be what they were in year one, but they should be okay. Now, Michael Ruiz is, is uh, saying that I am slandering the man, the myth, the legend, Breck Shea. Um, well, if he's a left back, you already have two left backs. So he, it's three left backs then and no right backs. So that's even worse. I think Breck Shea would probably be about what he was last year for them, which would be a spot starter and sometimes left winger. And that's okay. I just don't think he's a guy you can count on to play 34 games at this point. So I think you need a starting left winger, unless you're going to give it to Ascona, who is somebody they believe in, a young Dominican Republic national team member, um, local guy. You know, is he ready? I, I don't know, but. If you don't have a whole lot of expectations this season and you want to give him a, a run, then go for it. Uh, but with Breck Shea as a backup, okay, maybe they split it and you see what you got. Then you still need a number 10 for sure, and you need a right back for sure. I think those are two starters that you got to go lock in. And first and foremost, I give Chris Henderson a lot of credit for all of his juggling and eliminating and reassembling of deck chairs and trying to 
sit there and figure out what's going on. I give him a lot of credit for hitting the ground running in a very difficult situation. Yeah, I mean, he had to. And if he's going to make some room to, to work with, then this is the, the way to do it. So wild stuff. Um, as is being reported, Jonathan Tannewald's had it. Uh, I think Jeff Carlisle's had it. Um, many others have had it. Carlos Cordero has announced that he is running for U.S. soccer president to go back to the hour number one conversation. Oh, buddy, that's going to be fun. Um, get ready for a bunch of absurdities over the next two months when it comes to U.S. soccer politics. Yay, can't wait. And he's got his own website. Good for him. CarlosVision2026.com. He's going to have to sell people on the fact that he didn't screw up before. He's going to have to throw the other people under the bus. Because when you take that off of his resume, he's a guy who has worked in U.S. soccer and been involved and been on committees for you know the bulk of his professional life. He's given the game a lot. All that is great. I don't know how he extricates himself from the issues that happened that led to him resigning not even two years ago at this stage. I just don't know how that happens. But we'll see. Uh, St. Louis City has also made their coaching hire official now in Carnell as the guy in St. Louis. Sam Stejkal had that earlier this morning. We talked about it in hour number one. Um, lots of stuff happening. And it's going to continue. I mean, if, if camps are opening on the 16th in MLS, you're going to hear a lot more about these questions we're having about depth with Miami other teams as well. You're going to see a lot of signings coming up. You have the draft next week um, on Tuesday, which I'm starting to dig into a little bit in terms of who could be available for Atlanta at number 19. Who are some guys to pay attention to that could be wild cards? There are some interesting guys in this draft. Uh, the generation Adidas class is looking pretty decent as to what's being rumored anyway, and that's always a moving target until really the day before the draft. Those are the guys who give you a lot of roster and cap relief. So generally the the early picks in the draft are going to go to those guys coming out early, signing a generation Adidas deal. But there's some seniors that are interesting. Uh, just from my first pass through the, the draft group, a lot of center backs that are intriguing. Um, variety of different types of center backs. You've got uh, a couple guys that are 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, some really big center backs and then you've got some smaller guys who are a little bit better on the ball you've got a lot of guys and i think this is starting to become more of the norm of the attackers coming out of college uh, one you have a growing number of international players who are at the top of the college ranks so you're going to need international slots for these guys which is not always easy to commit to um, but you're also going to have a lot of questions as you look at guys who were forwards in college or wingers in college do they change positions at the next level do some of the forwards move outside and become wingers do some of those wingers drop and become outside backs or wing backs do some of the holding midfielders become center backs because the game is faster at the pro level so a lot of times guys who are not quite as fast can really do well in a position in college but have to be protected a little bit more at the the pro level so we'll, we'll see where the draft class goes as well there's some guys i mean daryl dk was a draft pick and made orlando nine and a half million bucks uh, Miles Robinson was a draft pick. Uh, Julian Gressel was a draft pick. There are draft picks who turn out to be really big deals. There are still guys who slip through the cracks. There are guys who are late bloomers, guys who live in parts of the country that don't have an MLS academy nearby. There are guys who 
don't fit with their MLS team in their market and don't want to sign a homegrown deal and, and don't and, and go into the draft. And there are these international guys who didn't make it at 17, 18, get a pro deal. They come to the States, they play in college and they improve and they, they raise their standing here. So it's really weird. And it is about as close to a lottery ticket kind of situation as you can get, but they're, are some guys in college that can jump up and help teams. Henry Kessler is another one who's in the national team pool as a center back who came out of the college game. So it can happen. Well, he's mentioned Jack Elliott with what uh, he was, what he's been able to bring to the table in Philadelphia, considering how late a pick he was in this whole process. So they're out there. Yeah. I mean, that's an even bigger crapshoot as a fourth round pick. I'm at this point, saying that the crapshoot is really past about pick five. Uh, I think generally in in every draft class, you're going to have five guys who are pretty obviously your best five players that are your best pro prospects. There's probably another 15 to 20 that could make MLS careers out of their their game. Not all of them make it because they end up in bad situation for them. They don't get an opportunity, whatever. Some of them do, but it's a crapshoot because that other 15 to 20 could come anywhere from the first round to the fourth because it's it's not easy to scout. It's not easy to project. The college game is still mostly, although I have noticed some nice shifts in the way that the college game plays out. It's not as kick and chase as it used to be. Uh, It's not quite built on purely pace and power. There, there are some actual skill sets on display, which is good. So we'll see what Atlanta United does at 19. Last year, they traded out of the first round. They picked Josh Bauer. They didn't pick up his option. He's in Nashville now. He did pick up his option. Uh, we'll see what Atlanta does at pick 19. There was a mock draft that Top Drawer Soccer has, which I think more than anything was kind of a ranking of guys. I mean, a little bit of need was attached to where guys fit, but they had Atlanta picking a goalkeeper, which I wouldn't expect yeah, because of the potential homegrowns that are coming. Um, I don't think you need to, but maybe if that's the best guy on the board, possibly, I think that would not be a position to need. I think Atlanta would be looking elsewhere. And when you get into a draft, and they can't do this in a mock draft, by the way, when you get into a draft, if there isn't somebody you like at 19, guys have been picked ahead of you, the the other guys you like are further down, and you're at 19, and the best guy available is a goalkeeper, you're probably trading out of that spot and yeah. moving back to somebody who wants that goalkeeper. So mm-hmm. keep those kinds of moves in mind. Um, I'll keep you posted on everything. I think what I'm going to do over the weekend or possibly Monday is do a uh, separate draft preview pod um if i can gather up enough information on this as i'm I'm working through it so it's worthwhile um we're seeing teams that are using the draft really effectively new england's a prime example new england with henry kessler with dewan jones with tajon buchanan who they just sold for a good amount of money with brandon by who was a forward at western michigan who's converted into a right back um the, the college game can be useful. Andrew Farrell's a guy from college from Louisville. So, I mean, their back line at times has been four college guys and it's been good. So Matt Turner was a guy nobody expected anything out of coming out of college. It can be useful. So we'll do a, uh, 
a pod about it if I can work up enough information. I'm working on it, so stay tuned. That'll probably be Sunday or Monday. Uh, we haven't gotten into it yet because of all the other things um, going on today, but I do want to touch on this before we go, John, because you had dug up some information, as had a uh, former intern, Niall, who's helping out behind the scenes, on uh, Southampton and the situation. It's not just as simple as somebody coming in to buy a club. One big question for me was Gao Jixing paid about 205, 210 million in 2017 and he's selling it for a hundred. What? That's not good. Uh, and two, the idea behind sport Republic who is doing this is not just as simple as buying Southampton and doing what they do. They're trying to create a club family model, right? Yes. They're trying to be like city football group. And they view Southampton as the first step in that process. And, you know, when you're looking at something and you are as ambitious as it sounds with Sport Republic, where else do you go? What, what other parts of the, the soccer footprint are you going to be chasing? Where do you want to add properties? What's going to be decent enough for you financially where you can invest and you can invest wisely in your own mind. And so for me, when they announced that part of wanting to be like city football group, I'm like, okay, you want to do that. Where are your next steps? What do you see in where you're going? So that, that for me, that, that raised the antennae a little bit in trying to figure out what sport Republic wants to do. I just want to see where they think they're going next. Yeah. I I mean, some of this with, with Southampton, and it's not a club that I've followed, you know, intensely, but I think one of the descriptions on Sky as they were talking about this deal was stagnant. It had kind of gotten to where Gao Jixing had bought in, obviously not making money because he sold it at a huge loss, wasn't really putting a whole lot of money into it. So they kind of were what they were. Which, again, you know, we've had the Norwich conversation, like to some degree you are what you are unless somebody comes in and buys you like they did with Newcastle and, and infuses that much money to it. And you got to be careful about trying to be something you're not financially because that's how you go broke. Um, but Southampton seems to be a club that had kind of gotten as far as they could go with Galchishing. This is a really interesting idea. Um, the goals here of the city football group, uh, the athletic uh, compares it more to the, the Red Bull idea a little bit and talking about the integrated scouting and coaching network. Um, hopefully not playing just that style. Sorry, Red Bull fans. Um, Southampton in their, their comments say they will. It has uh, talking about Southampton. It has a great management team. Excellent talent development. It's absolutely true. Talented teams playing attractive football and a dedicated fan base. Southampton will be a cornerstone of the organization we plan to build. We talked about this during the, the, the really strong points of the pandemic where it was looking like there were a lot of clubs that could be in trouble. And would it be an opportunity to start to create these kinds of conglomerates? Not all the conglomerates have to be at the level of Manchester City. I mean, right now, Red Bull isn't. You know, their their top club is RB Leipzig, who is a, you know, solid number two and below in Germany, depending on how they are doing year to year, because they're not Bayern. City is is different, obviously, with what Manchester City's pulled together and, and being, you know, one of the most successful teams in the world. Red Bull hasn't gotten to that point. Red Bull 
you know, I think some would argue that, that maybe they've been more successful over a longer period of time. But City last year, if I'm not mistaken, you had the MLS champions in the portfolio. I think you had the Australian champions in the portfolio. There was one more. I think there were four champions across the CFG uh, conglomerate that were champions. Okay. Yeah, if you have that kind of scratch, that's great. You can be as big as you want. But if you don't, but you have good money, it does make a lot of sense to follow the model. You're just not buying as big. So if Southampton is the cornerstone of it, but you buy a team, buy three or four other teams for smaller amounts of money in different parts of the world and create that scouting network, that development network, well, it can work. It, I think it can absolutely work. It it might not make Southampton Manchester City, but it can strengthen the club. And I, I think what Southampton fans would be asking for, and, and you'd probably know more about this than I would, John, I, I think what they would be looking for out of it is more ambition to be evident. Yeah. I don't know if they're expecting to win the Premier League, but I think they want to see a team that has more ambition than what they've been, which has been kind of stagnant. Yeah, and I think that if you present evidence in your case that we're investing and we're looking to improve and we're looking to get out of 14th, 15th, and we're looking actively to to be mid-table, maybe right on the edge of Europa Conference League or something like that, at least I think a lot of fans in their leagues with their clubs, if you are at a certain level, for the sake of argument, say 15th, and you sit there and you make that effort to try to, quote, unquote, improve, try to, quote, unquote, advance your place, then I think that there's some added interest. I think there's patience. I think there's also that that added element of enthusiasm that may not be that may not be there currently. And I think that if this is where Sport Republic is headed, then I think that there should be some early enthusiasm for what you're seeing and having to and doing it in the way that Brentford did it to get to the Premier League, going through analytics and things like that. It's a different way and it's a different approach. And so I don't I, think they're really saying they're going down the analytics road. I don't, I don't want to put that out there as that's the road they're going. They haven't said that. OK, so whatever idea is obviously with new ownership, you're sitting there and thinking, OK, maybe we can be different. So what is that different going to look like? And you're trying to hopefully get out of that 15th area and push yourself up a little higher because there have been times in the past, and especially under Hassenhutl, where early on in a season, they've been top half of the table, but they haven't had the horses to maintain and they've ended up drifting back down, say 15th or so by the time the season's over. So obviously that, that enthusiasm is there. Where does it translate into? And let's see where it goes. Yeah, the only reason I, I, I clarify the the analytics thing is I think that's become a much larger point with a Brentford, which is a smaller club, which I think has to find that that kind of gap. I think Southampton has been a great development club. They've developed a lot of talent coming through. They'll use analytics because I think most clubs that are being purchased now are, are bringing that to the fore, and it's new to add to your arsenal of, of skills. But I don't think they'll be quite as reliant on it as a Brentford. I think Brentford would put that front and center as what they're trying to do. Yeah. Whereas I think Southampton is going to put a network of clubs front and center as to what they're trying to do. We'll see which, what works. Um, 
biggest thing about Gao Jixing that it, I think needs to be remembered here is he, he bought 80% of the club. He sold it at a loss. He didn't put money into the team. He didn't you know, do the big investment area of like, here's $500 million. Go do what you want. He didn't do that. They didn't take any money from it either. And he sold it at a loss. So, I mean, ultimately he did right by the club from a business perspective. Um, some people think that's not right by the club because he, he wasn't very involved. He, he kind of had a, you know, arm's distance from the thing, uh, doesn't speak fluent English. So there wasn't a whole lot of communication. He really let the club people in charge of it, run it. And they, he didn't meddle and he stayed out of their way. That's a good thing in general, I think. But now where the game is going, and this is going to become a bigger deal as we go down the line here. Newcastle, with what they are, being linked to every single player in the world right now. Every name that comes up. Well, there's Newcastle. Well, there's Newcastle. That's just that's how it's going. Uh, the Karen Trippier deal is done, by the way, and he will be the first uh, new signing. But get get French football news had a Twitter thread yesterday talking about some of the issues around the Sven Botman deal and some of the questions about Newcastle's recruitment. And woo, doesn't paint a pretty picture, and it really reinforces some of my concerns about what they're doing in this first window. But anyway, because of what Newcastle's turning into, sorry, Alex, by the way, uh, because of what they're turning into, because of what we've already seen from City, because of, of what we've already seen with the big money coming into the game, there is more pressure now than there was five years ago on clubs like Norwich, Southampton, Brentford, et cetera, et cetera, to not settle for being who they are. And, and what we've always been told in the game in, in Europe is that that's just how it is. You know, if you have clubs who are mid-table teams in the Premier League and that's, they're always a, a mid-table team, they're always going to be supported and it's always there and it's always fine. They're not expected to win titles because they know they're not going to win titles. Okay, I think we're seeing a shift now in there is a greater expectation of ownership to spend money to try to win. And you're competing with even bigger people spending money now to win. Just watch out. I, I hope we don't see another wave of the Leeds, Boltons, Portsmouths. I, I hope we don't see another wave of that. Now, Leeds has bounced back. The others haven't. It took Leeds a long time to bounce back. Just keep an eye on that. Um, this seems like a really interesting idea from Southampton, though. It's a better, it's a much better idea to me than the idea around Norwich. Like they should just spend. Well, maybe they can't. Maybe there, there's not the idea of them, you know, making that money back. Maybe it's the idea of that ownership being stretched as far as they can go. Well, then maybe they have to sell. That's a different conversation. This actually seems like a very interesting plan. I want to see what the other clubs that come into the conglomerate are. That's what I'm waiting to see. But if they do it right, yeah, you got a bigger scouting network. You got a bigger development network. You have more to work from, and you should be able to create better teams. See if it comes off, but it's got to be run correctly. Uh, recapping the big news of the day, Carlos Cordero is running for U.S. soccer president. That is official now. He resigned in 2020 in some level of disgrace. We'll see where that goes. Uh, Bradley Carnell is the new manager, the first manager of St. Louis City SC, who starts playing MLS next year, 2023. Uh, one of the earlier appointments. Um, 
which fits a little bit of what St. Louis has been doing because they're going to have a team play in the MLS Next Pro League this year, which will be eligible for the U.S. Open Cup. Uh, they're really being aggressive and starting early. We watched how that played out here in Atlanta with the academy starting really early. It's paying off faster than it is for a lot of other teams. St. Louis getting the ball rolling on development early should be in a good position to see rewards from that if they're doing everything correctly. A bunch of moves around the league. We've talked about the the latest on Miami with Nicholas Figal potentially heading to Boca Juniors, as is being reported in the Argentine media. Uh, well, stoppage time today, two o'clock. You can watch it on stoppage time nine two nine on Twitch, and hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, you could also watch it live on Facebook, facebook.com slash nine two nine the game. If not, it'll be posted immediately afterwards. On Facebook, and uh, then the audio will go out after the fact on the Off the Woodwork folder under 92.9 The Game on the website and also on your favorite podcatchers. We'll be back tomorrow. Nico Moreno will be joining us tomorrow, and also we will have Glenn Davis of the Houston Dynamo broadcast team. Glenn's going to be with us to talk about MLS as a whole, but specifically about Paulo Nagamura, the new manager of the Houston Dynamo, and Something that I've, I've talked to Glenn about over the years and when he's had me on his Soccer Matters show, we've talked about what Atlanta's doing and the culture around soccer in Atlanta. I know Glenn has really, really worked hard to build the culture and, and try to generate the type of content going on in Houston. And it's a different market. And I want to pick Glenn's brain a little bit about that. So uh, Glenn Davis at 10 o'clock. Nico Moreno at 1030 tomorrow. That is the plan. And thanks for being with us today. Mucha plat, y'all. Mucha plat, y'all.